Hi everyone, my name is Josiah and I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the spiritual gifts. During our last Bible study, we talked about how the spiritual gifts are the fruit and the result of being in an active relationship with God. We mentioned a few lists of the behaviors, talents, gifts, attributes, and the spiritual works that accompany God's people throughout the Old and New Testament and today. If you're going to be taking notes on this teaching, you can title it something like, The Fruit Doesn't Fall Far From The Tree. And what I'm going to be talking about today is very important, because not understanding these things can cause serious psychological harm and has even been used as a form of spiritual abuse. In some denominations and charismatic circles, there are instruction booklets, seminars, and conferences dedicated to the claim that they can teach anyone to perform miracles. They teach prophesying, healing, or even speaking in tongues, among other things. I'm not sure if you have, but growing up, I had heard a lot about people performing miracles, about mass healings in some far-off place, or about prophets prophesying over churches around the world. Some churches even claim that if you do not speak in tongues, you are not really a Christian and that you don't believe in God and that you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Hearing about these things made me really anxious. I started to feel spiritual jealousy, and I was scared that I wasn't really a Christian. I thought, am I really a child of God? Uh, will I go to heaven? Because I was asking myself, if they're healing, why, why can't I heal? Or if they can prophesy, why can't I? So yeah, I just really wanted to go a little bit deeper into the spiritual gifts, um, because I have personally seen a lot of hurt and destruction coming from harmful teachings and from confused beliefs um, in, in many churches and in many Christian circles. Uh, which is really sad because something that's supposed to be such a beautiful part of our faith, a part of maturing in our faith, is being used as a measuring stick to measure someone's spirituality or judge or condemn believers that don't know any better. So kind of an example of one of the times that I saw that uh, it was spiritual, the idea of spiritual gifts was being used in an inappropriate way was uh, when I was young and it was actually at my, my church. Uh, a traveling healer had come to our church and was praying over uh, the congregants. One of the people that he was praying over was actually a friend of mine. Um, we would have been around like between the ages of six and 12, so like middle school age, and she had type one diabetes, uh, which is an autoimmune disease that some people are born with or they develop at a very young age. And it it's not caused by your diet or eating too much sugar or anything like that. Anyway, so he was praying over her to get healed from her diabetes or type one diabetes, and she wasn't healed. And then after that, the preacher blamed her and her family. He said that maybe she doesn't have enough faith or um, her parents don't have enough faith or she had sinned in a way that God wouldn't, wouldn't work in her life. She, the way the, that healer made her feel was like Job, um, that, that she had warranted God's punishment in her life and that she shouldn't be healed. So 
Do you know the story of Job? What did Job's friends say to him when his family members were dying, when he was going through these disasters? The first friend said to him, do the innocent die? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. So he was blaming him. He said that he and his family were planting trouble and cultivating evil. And that's why bad things were happening. These bad things were God punishing him. The second friend said to him, if iniquity is in your hand, put it far away and let no injustice dwell in your tents. So he was accusing Job that he was allowing injustice in his household and that God was punishing him for that. So both of them were accusing Job of being guilty of sin and saying that God was correcting him and punishing him through those terrible circumstances. That was not the case for Job, and that is not the case for us. These thoughts are extremely problematic. The idea of believing that any work you perform will change how the God of the universe thinks about you or feels toward you, or that his capacity for forgiveness or healing depends on what you do. That idea requires serious correction. There's nothing that we can do to earn forgiveness or healing. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. His forgiveness doesn't depend on anything we do, but on his mercy, which he accomplished for us on the cross, according to the riches of his grace. And God will show mercy to whom he shows mercy. You don't have to look any further than Paul to see this. The Lord is the one who sits on the judgment seat. No man can judge the heart of another. Only the Lord can. So do you know, or can you think of any Bible verses where God, where it talks about God's forgiveness or his love? Any verses where God does good to those who don't deserve it? A few that I thought of were Psalm 65.3, which says, When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Romans 4.5 But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives them. Uh, Romans 5.8 but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
uh, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 9, 15 and 16 says, For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decide, decides to show mercy. We can either choose it nor work for it. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So if it isn't our sinful nature that's keeping us from working our spiritual gifts or keeping us from being healed, why isn't every prayer answered immediately how we want? Why does there continue to be suffering in our world? The idea that the focus of your spiritual life or that performing gifts or miracles should be the center of your Christian life, that idea is completely upside down. And it's this backwards thinking that can be used to deeply damage your own faith and the faith of others as well. You're asking yourself, why won't God heal my grandpa, my dad, my headache? Why can't I perform miracles whenever I want? The answer to these questions is that they're not the right questions at all. Did you hear that? The answer to those questions is not for us to know. The mystery of miracles and the mystery of suffering belongs to God and God alone. Remember, God's thoughts are so much higher than our own. And God created the universe with cause and effect, where actions have consequences. We live in a sinful world where humans can either follow God or guide themselves. And this world is full of humans that rebel against God every day, every chance they get. Now we experience the suffering of those consequences. But this life, this world, isn't the final chapter. And our reason for living, our purpose for life, isn't even of this world. You can look at John 18.36, Romans 12.2, John 15.19, and Colossians 3.2. And far above our works, far above this world, God cares about our souls about who we really and truly are. And in a way, the trials and the tribulations of our lives on earth give us perspective that allows us to appreciate the immense joy and wonder of living in a place without suffering, in a place without pain, in the kingdom of God. So is it possible for good to exist without evil? Can light exist if there is no darkness? Can you know what peace is without experiencing chaos? When God created 
this universe, he spoke matter into existence and then immediately separated it from what it is not. So when God spoke and created light, by extension, darkness existed. So he separated the light from the darkness. When he created dry land, he separated it from the seas. So although we may not completely understand the chaos and the evil that exists, it helps us to understand what is good and what is perfect. Even when facing hard times, God uses those times to cultivate our souls. What might seem like an obstacle might just be a stepping stone that leads us down a path in maturing and transforming into who God has called us to be. Another encouraging thing is that we do not need to feel alone in our suffering. Jesus lived a life full of suffering. In Isaiah, it says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and, he, and we held him in low esteem. In Matthew 26, 38, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And in Hebrews 4, 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. So Jesus was humiliated, he was mocked, he was tortured. Where we are, Jesus has already been. We are never alone in our suffering. And we have each other as well as Christ um, to support and be comforted. So dear friends, as First Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So how should we orient ourselves then if, if our goal isn't to understand or to cure our suffering or to attempt to perform miracles? What are the questions we should be focusing on? Well, instead of dwelling on or questioning our suffering, let's look at a couple biblical perspectives. In John 16, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And in Romans 8, it says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later. Both these perspectives acknowledge that suffering exists now, but they look forward to focusing on the hope of the promise of healing and paradise in the life to come. So let us look forward with hope as we enter the kingdom of God. Back to spiritual gifts, if you've been struggling with wanting to perform miracles or wanting to work through the gifts of the Spirit, just as I had, I want you to reorient yourself. The problem isn't, why can't I heal or how do I heal? The question is, will you pray anyway? Even if the answer might be no. Will you go out and support your community, support your church, even if you might not perform a miracle? Do you think it's important to pray? Why?
It's true that we as believers should pray and strive to bless others and to do the will of God here on earth. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. But earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts does not mean that you only desire the spiritual gifts or even that desiring the spiritual gifts is your main desire. First comes first, pursue love. Using your spiritual gifts does not always have to look miraculous on the outside. The miracle taking place is spiritual. It is God working in your heart when you're being obedient and working in the heart of the person you're blessing or serving. Using spiritual gifts is not you channeling God. It's posturing yourself and your life to allow God to work through and in you. So how do we do that? How do we posture our life in a way that allows God to work in us and through us? What are some, some spiritual practices? A list of the practices that I thought of were prayer, meditation, scripture reading or memorization, Bible study alone or with others, which is understanding a story of the Bible, understanding a chapter of the Bible, and seeing how that applies to ourselves, how it applies to the world, and how it applies to God. So you can look at the story of Adam, the story of Ruth, the story of Job, the story of Esther. The story of Daniel. You can read this the story, place yourself in that in that scenario, and uh, learn from what what God is trying to teach you through that. Also, by spending uh, time in fellowship with other believers through worship, uh, making sacrifices of our time or money, or by volunteering um, to benefit others, and fasting. So fasting is a spiritual discipline that is actually very humbling. Uh, biblical fasting often included lying in ashes and wearing sackcloth because it reminded them of death and it was a time of mourning or grieving. Fasting is depriving yourself of a certain comfort and directing that time to be instead dedicated and devoted to God. Uh, many Christians find fasting helps ground them in living a life that's dedicated to loving God, and it reminds us that we ourselves need love, and which in turn reminds us how important it is to be loving others. A fast can be from anything uh, that you like or anything that takes up your time. So going on your phone, watching TV, playing video games. Most often, though, fasting was abstaining from eating food for a period of time. Uh, every time you would normally go to do that thing, so you have a reminder that, oh, you're hungry or you're bored, instead of going to that thing, take time to read the Bible, take time to pray. Uh, taking this time to sacrifice it, to spend it with God, will help you experience more and more who God is, and, help, and it will begin to transform you into who God has created you to be.
in order to use the spiritual gifts and to know you're using spiritual gifts, you need to know what the spiritual gifts are. So last teaching, we had a list, uh, five lists actually throughout the Bible that described uh, the actions or the attributes that accompany the Holy Spirit moving and working in someone. So whether it's having wisdom, having understanding, giving counsel, teaching, serving, um, giving, leading, having kindness, having gentleness, having self-control. Um, there are so many ways that the Holy Spirit can move and work in us. And all of us have different gifts. All of us have different passions and uh, areas where we excel in, in serving others. So I want you to read that list carefully a few times and try to think of yourself and times in your own life where these gifts have become apparent. Um, there may have been certain seasons in your life where these gifts were more abundant or more apparent or they happen more often. And I just want you to think about, think about those times. Now, if you're still having trouble pinpointing uh, the gifts of God or the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, go to someone who knows you really well. Go to someone you trust and ask them if, if they've seen God work through you or ask them how God has used you in their life. So once you know what the spiritual, uh, what the spiritual gifts are, uh, and you've began to posture yourself through the list of spiritual practices we talked of, spoke of earlier, the prayer, worship, meditation, fasting, Bible study. Um, I think it's really important in Bible study to learn about what God calls us to learn about how we can honor God and how we can obey what he's commanded us. God requires things of his people. He requires humility, justice, and righteousness. And when we obey God, we strengthen our relationship with him and we learn more about who he is and who we're supposed to be. By continually growing in these areas, you'll begin to see your spiritual gifts growing in your life. To strengthen your spiritual gifts, you have to be using them and spending time developing your relationship with God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Jesus also said, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. You can only bear good fruit if you're a healthy tree. Healthy trees need water, and they need sunlight. Where does our water, where does our sunlight come from? Well, in John, Jesus said, 
If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He also said in John, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus, his example, his words, that is our light, that is our water. And we can only mature and grow in our faith by obeying Jesus and remaining in him. He said in John 15, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing, which is the uh, same teaching that uh, was recorded in Matthew 17. So we understand that we can't do anything on our own, but only when we are abiding in Jesus can he feed us, can he nurture and cultivate us, and work through us. So we need to be ready at any moment. In any situation, be ready to use your gifts. When you're at home, when you're at work, at school, the mall, a park, at your church, be listening for when someone shows vulnerability. Be ready to lend a helping hand and offer to pray with them and to bless them. If someone sounds like they're having a hard time, encourage them. If you know some something about some like if you know some knowledge about something or you have wisdom about a certain scenario share that wisdom share that knowledge with that person but always be sensitive and always be obedient when you feel the holy spirit moving you to step out out of your comfort zone to reach out into someone else's life and bless them the holy spirit is a still small voice that encourages you to, to step out we all have different gifts according to Romans 12, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So whatever your gift is, pour your heart into it, reach out to others, and fulfill the call of God. Uh, so in summary, in order to work in, in your spiritual gifts and to develop your spiritual gifts, you need to develop and grow in your relationship with God through the spiritual practices we talked about. We need to learn what the spiritual gifts are and look at our own life and figure out what our spiritual gifts might be. What are your talents? What are your passions? How can I use that for furthering God's kingdom? And if you're having trouble fig figuring that out for yourself, ask someone you trust, ask someone who knows you well, um, ask them how God has used you in their life. Third, we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We need to be obedient. We have to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our strength. And we have to love our neighbors ourselves. And don't forget, you can even use spiritual gifts with people you wouldn't consider a friend. 
in the Bible, it says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. So be paying attention every day. Be willing to step out of your comfort zone. Put yourself in situations where you can bless and encourage or comfort others. Support a stranger, a friend, your church. And in those moments, God will use you. Don't worry about trying to conjure up a miracle. Simply pursue love. Do justice. Show mercy. The rest is in his hands. My name is Josiah, and I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the spiritual gifts. During our last Bible study, we talked about how the spiritual gifts are the fruit and the result of being in an active relationship with God. We mentioned a few lists of the behaviors, talents, gifts, attributes, and the spiritual works that accompany God's people throughout the Old and New Testament and today. If you're going to be taking notes on this teaching, you can title it something like, The Fruit Doesn't Fall Far From the Tree. And what I'm going to be talking about today is very important, because not understanding these things can cause serious psychological harm and has even been used as a form of spiritual abuse. In some denominations and charismatic circles, there are instruction booklets, seminars, and conferences dedicated to the claim that they can teach anyone to perform miracles. They teach prophesying, healing, or even speaking in tongues, among other things. I'm not sure if you have, but growing up, I had heard a lot about people performing miracles, about mass healings in some far off place, or about prophets prophesying over churches around the world. Some churches even claim that if you do not speak in tongues, you are not really a Christian and that you don't believe in God and that you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Hearing about these things made me really anxious. I started to feel spiritual jealousy, and I was scared that I wasn't really a Christian. I thought, am I really a child of God? Uh, will I go to heaven? Because I was asking myself, if they're healing, why, why can't I heal? Or if they can prophesy, why can't I? So yeah, I just really wanted to go a little bit deeper into the spiritual gifts, um, because I have personally seen a lot of hurt and destruction coming from harmful teachings and from confused beliefs um, in, in many churches and in many Christian circles. Uh, which is really sad because something that's supposed to be such a beautiful part of our faith, a part of maturing in our faith, is being used as a measuring stick to measure someone's spirituality or judge or condemn believers that don't know any better.
so kind of an example of one of the times that I saw that uh, it was spiritual, the idea of spiritual gifts was being used in an inappropriate way was uh, when I was young and it was actually at my, my church. Uh, a traveling healer had come to our church and was praying over uh, the congregants. One of the people that he was praying over was actually a friend of mine. Um, we would have been around like between the ages of six and 12, so like middle school age, and she had type one diabetes, uh, which is an autoimmune disease that some people are born with or they develop at a very young age. And it it's not caused by your diet or eating too much sugar or anything like that. Anyway, so he was praying over her to get healed from her diabetes or type one diabetes, and she wasn't healed. And then after that, the preacher blamed her and her family. He said that maybe she doesn't have enough faith or um, her parents don't have enough faith or she had sinned in a way that God wouldn't, wouldn't work in her life. She, the way the, that healer made her feel was like Job. Um, that, that she had warranted God's punishment in her life and that she shouldn't be healed. So do you know the story of Job? What did Job's friends say to him when his family members were dying, when he was going through these disasters? The first friend said to him, do the innocent die? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. So he was blaming him. He said that he and his family were planting trouble and cultivating evil. And that's why bad things were happening. These bad things were God punishing him. The second friend said to him, if iniquity is in your hand, put it far away and let no injustice dwell in your tents. So he was accusing Job that he was allowing injustice in his household and that God was punishing him for that. So both of them were accusing Job of being guilty of sin and saying that God was correcting him and punishing him through those terrible circumstances. That was not the case for Job, and that is not the case for us. These thoughts are extremely problematic. The idea of believing that any work you perform will change how the God of the universe thinks about you or feels toward you, or that his capacity for forgiveness or healing depends on what you do. That idea requires serious correction. There is nothing that we can do to earn forgiveness or healing. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. His forgiveness doesn't depend on anything we do, but on his mercy, which he accomplished for us on the cross, according to the riches of his grace. And God will show mercy to whom he shows mercy. You don't have to look any further than Paul to see this. The Lord is the one who sits on the judgment seat. No man can judge the heart of another. Only the Lord can.
So do you know, or can you think of any Bible verses where God, where it talks about God's forgiveness or his love? Any verses where God does good to those who don't deserve it? A few that I thought of were Psalm 65.3, which says, When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Romans 4.5 But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives them. Uh, Romans 5.8 but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 9, 15 and 16 says, For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decide, decides to show mercy. We can either choose it nor work for it. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So if it isn't our sinful nature that's keeping us from working our spiritual gifts or keeping us from being healed, why isn't every prayer answered immediately how we want? Why does there continue to be suffering in our world? The idea that the focus of your spiritual life or that performing gifts or miracles should be the center of your Christian life, that idea is completely upside down. And it's this backwards thinking that can be used to deeply damage your own faith and the faith of others as well. You're asking yourself, why won't God heal my grandpa, my dad, my headache? Why can't I perform miracles whenever I want? The answer to these questions is that they're not the right questions at all. Did you hear that? The answer to those questions is not for us to know. The mystery of miracles and the mystery of suffering belongs to God and God alone. Remember, God's thoughts are so much higher than our own. And God created the universe with cause and effect, where actions have consequences. We live in a sinful world where humans can either follow God or guide themselves. And this world is full of humans that rebel against God every day, every chance they get. Now we experience the suffering of those consequences. But this life, this world, isn't the final chapter. And our reason for living, our purpose for life, isn't even of this world. You can look at John 18.36, Romans 12.2, 2 
John 15, 19, and Colossians 3, 2. And far above our works, far above this world, God cares about our souls, about who we really and truly are. And in a way, the trials and the tribulations of our lives on earth give us perspective that allows us to appreciate the immense joy and wonder of living in a place without suffering, in a place without pain, in the kingdom of God. So is it possible for good to exist without evil? Can light exist if there is no darkness? Can you know what peace is without experiencing chaos? When God created this universe, he spoke matter into existence and then immediately separated it from what it is not. So when God spoke and created light, by extension, darkness existed. So he separated the light from the darkness. When he created dry land, he separated it from the seas. So although we may not completely understand the chaos and the evil that exists, it helps us to understand what is good and what is perfect. Even when facing hard times, God uses those times to cultivate our souls. What might seem like an obstacle might just be a stepping stone that leads us down a path in maturing and transforming into who God has called us to be. Another encouraging thing is that we do not need to feel alone in our suffering. Jesus lived a life full of suffering. In Isaiah, it says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and, he, and we held him in low esteem. In Matthew 26, 38, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And in Hebrews 4, 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. So Jesus was humiliated, he was mocked, he was tortured. Where we are, Jesus has already been. We are never alone in our suffering. And we have each other as well as Christ um, to support and be comforted. So dear friends, as First Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So how should we orient ourselves then if, if our goal isn't to understand or to cure our suffering or to attempt to perform miracles, what are the questions we should be focusing on? Well, instead of dwelling on or questioning our suffering, let's look at a couple biblical perspectives. In John 16, Jesus says, 
in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And in Romans 8, it says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later. Both these perspectives acknowledge that suffering exists now, but they look forward to focusing on the hope of the promise of healing and paradise in the life to come. So let us look forward with hope as we enter the kingdom of God. Back to spiritual gifts, if you've been struggling with wanting to perform miracles or wanting to work through the gifts of the Spirit, just as I had, I want you to reorient yourself. The problem isn't, why can't I heal or how do I heal? The question is, will you pray anyway? Even if the answer might be no. Will you go out and support your community, support your church, even if you might not perform a miracle? Do you think it's important to pray? Why? It's true that we as believers should pray and strive to bless others and to do the will of God here on earth. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. But earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts does not mean that you only desire the spiritual gifts or even that desiring the spiritual gifts is your main desire. First comes first, pursue love. Using your spiritual gifts does not always have to look miraculous on the outside. The miracle taking place is spiritual. It is God working in your heart when you're being obedient and working in the heart of the person you're blessing or serving. Using spiritual gifts is not you channeling God. It's posturing yourself and your life to allow God to work through and in you. So how do we do that? How do we posture our life in a way that allows God to work in us and through us? What are some, some spiritual practices? A list of the practices that I thought of were prayer, meditation, scripture reading or memorization, Bible study alone or with others, which is understanding a story of the Bible, understanding a chapter of the Bible, and seeing how that applies to ourself, how it applies to the world, and how it applies to God. So you can look at the story of Adam, the story of Ruth, the story of Job, the story of Esther. The story of Daniel. You can read this the story, place yourself in that in that scenario, and uh, learn from what what God is trying to teach you through that. 
also by spending uh, time in fellowship with other believers through worship uh, making sacrifices of our time or money or by volunteering um, to benefit others and fasting so fasting is a spiritual discipline that is actually very humbling uh, biblical fasting often included lying in ashes and wearing sackcloth because it reminded them of death and it was a time of mourning or grieving fasting is depriving yourself of a certain comfort and directing that time to be instead dedicated and devoted to god um, many Christians find fasting helps ground them in living a life that's dedicated to loving God, and it reminds us that we ourselves need love, and which in turn reminds us how important it is to be loving others. A fast can be from anything uh, that you like or anything that takes up your time, so going on your phone, watching TV, playing video games. Most often, though, fasting was abstaining from eating food for a period of time uh, every time you would normally go to do that thing so you have a reminder that oh you're hungry or you're bored instead of going to that thing take time to read the bible take time to pray uh, taking this time to sacrifice it to spend it with god will help you experience more and more who god is and help and it will begin to transform you into who god has created you to be in order to use the spiritual gifts and to know you're using spiritual gifts, you need to know what the spiritual gifts are. So last teaching, we had a list, uh, five lists actually throughout the Bible that described uh, the actions or the attributes that accompany the Holy Spirit moving and working in someone. So whether it's having wisdom having understand understanding giving counsel teaching serving um, giving leading having kindness having gentleness having self-control um, there are so many ways that the holy spirit can move and work in us and all of us have different gifts all of us have different passions and uh, areas where we excel in in serving others so I want you to read that list carefully a few times and try to think of yourself and times in your own life where these gifts have become apparent. Um, there may have been certain seasons in your life where these gifts were more abundant or more apparent or they happen more often and I just want you to think about think about those times. Now, if you're still having trouble pinpointing uh, the gifts of God or the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, go to someone who knows you really well, go to someone you trust and ask them if, if they've seen God work through you or ask them how God has used you in their life. So once you know what the spiritual, uh, what the spiritual gifts are, uh, and you've began to posture yourself through the list of spiritual practices we talked of spoke of earlier the prayer worship meditation fasting bible study um, i think it's really important in bible study to learn about what god calls us to learn about how we can honor god and how we can obey what he's commanded us god requires things of his people he requires humility justice and righteousness and when we obey god 
we strengthen our relationship with him and we learn more about who he is and who we're supposed to be. By continually growing in these areas, you'll begin to see your spiritual gifts growing in your life. To strengthen your spiritual gifts, you have to be using them and spending time developing your relationship with God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Jesus also said, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. You can only bear good fruit if you're a healthy tree. Healthy trees need water and they need sunlight. Where does our water, where does our sunlight come from? Well, in John, Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He also said in John, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus, his example, his words, that is our light, that is our water. And we can only mature and grow in our faith by obeying Jesus and remaining in him. He said in John 15, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing, which is the uh, same teaching that uh, was recorded in Matthew 17. So we understand that we can't do anything on our own, but only when we are abiding in Jesus can he feed us, can he nurture and cultivate us, and work through us. So we need to be ready at any moment. In any situation, be ready to use your gifts. When you're at home, when you're at work, at school, the mall, a park, at your church, be listening for when someone shows vulnerability. Be ready to lend a helping hand and offer to pray with them and to bless them. If someone sounds like they're having a hard time, encourage them. If you know some something about some like if you know some knowledge about something or you have wisdom about a certain scenario share that wisdom share that knowledge with that person but always be sensitive and always be obedient when you feel the holy spirit moving you to step out out of your comfort zone to reach out into someone else's life and bless them the holy spirit is a still small voice that encourages you to, to step out 
we all have different gifts according to Romans 12, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So whatever your gift is, pour your heart into it, reach out to others, and fulfill the call of God. Uh, so in summary, in order to work in, in your spiritual gifts and to develop your spiritual gifts, you need to develop and grow in your relationship with God through the spiritual practices we talked about. We need to learn what the spiritual gifts are and look at our own life and figure out what our spiritual gifts might be. What are your talents? What are your passions? How can I use that for furthering God's kingdom? And if you're having trouble fig figuring that out for yourself, ask someone you trust, ask someone who knows you well, um, ask them how God has used you in their life. Third, we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We need to be obedient. We have to love God with all our heart, with all our soul and all our strength. And we have to love our neighbors ourselves. And don't forget, you can even use spiritual gifts with people you wouldn't consider a friend. In the Bible, it says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. So be paying attention every day. Be willing to step out of your comfort zone. Put yourself in situations where you can bless and encourage or comfort others. Support a stranger, a friend, your church. And in those moments, God will use you. Don't worry about trying to conjure up a miracle. Simply pursue love. Do justice. Show mercy. The rest is in his hands. Thank you.